real self-care is finding the self, which is something that uh, could take a lifetime or two, you know? Mm. And, uh, but when you, it's a combination you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, they don't know how to take care of themselves in a very simple way. There's a lot of programs running, destructive programs running programs that limit limit us and programs that tell us that we're not enough that we're not worthy of love uh, and we'll never be enough and no matter what we do blah 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 so but those things go on from a very early age and uh, if they're not rooted out very specifically with awareness and and uh, sincere aspiration they keep running in the background and they take over our spiritual work and then people start meditating uh, for the wrong reasons they do asana so they can have the best butt on the block you know and it has nothing to do with purification of the heart or the opening of the heart or the recognition of uh, why we're on earth in the first place so efforts needed to take care of yourself but also some kind of awareness of what what's running in there, what's pushing us around from behind us, our shadows. And we don't see our shadows directly. We see our shadows out there. So when you look at your life and you see what's functioning in your life, where there's fear, where there's shame, where there's guilt, where there's a lot of selfish, self-centered, aggressive need, uh, that's how you see what's pushing you. That's how you see your programs. And then once you begin to notice that, then you have to find a way to let go of those things. And whatever gets you through the night, whatever works for a person is, is, is what they should do. It seems to me that a, a very effective practice, and the question here is, you know, in relation to, to bhakti yoga, right, and having a practice. And then so if you have a, a practice that you're devoted to, in a way, you know, the idea of a pratipaksha bhavana, taking something else instead of trying to get rid of all thoughts you know you replace maybe the the more negative or, or troublesome thoughts with the more positive ones so if if you develop a practice you know that's so important to you that it it, it kind of supersedes and some plants and, and replaces mm -hmm. um the time spent doing other things mm -hmm. uh do you find that to be the case yeah, for sure but there's a big uh pothole in the road there and that is you get more, once again, the neurosis takes over and you begin to think that your practice, which is bringing you pleasant sensations in one way or another, that that's the whole thing. And you kick the dog or you step on the bum in the street. If your practice isn't making you a better human being, flush it, get rid of it right away. This is what I found too, actually, you know, living here at Yogaville for a while, one of the, the things that I noticed was... There's the a lot of places to flush, is that what you <laughs> The ability to compartmentalize, so oh. to speak. Like I realized after, <clears throat> you know, studying here a little while and I felt that I was, you know, 
growing a lot, making some headway. And then all of a sudden I was on the phone with like my car insurance company and boom, I lost it right there. Mm -hmm. And I saw that all my practices just like went right down the drain. And mm -hmm. so since then I've been aware of that and noticed that it's mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, I'm meditating, meditating here now, or I'm doing my Hatha yoga practice. And then outside of it, like you said, you're kicking the dog, you're mm -hmm. doing it. So instead maybe turn to the direction of it's this life of living yoga where everything is a part of the practice. Yes. But again, Another pot, another pothole. Mm. Uh, you need to practice in order to be compassionate. You need to practice because it's it's practice that gives us the strength to release the programs that are running. It's practice that gives us the the awareness to see the programs over time. So yeah, you stepped in a hole and you fell. Fine, but you got up. You don't throw your practice away, but you 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 clean up your practice little by little and you make it you 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 recognize why you're doing the practice and if you're doing it only for the sake of your own uh, uh, acquiring so-called spiritual experiences you know you you're gonna find ultimately that it's not gonna be enough so Maharaji never my guru never uh, encouraged us to do practice for this, our own sake of our own enlightenment. He would say, love everyone, feed everyone, and remember God. You know, it wasn't about, it wasn't remember God, then love everyone. He said, love everyone, serve everyone, feed everyone, and remember God. They all go together. Uh, so, everything, you need everything. You need the right view, so to speak, but you also need the practice to give you to purify the heart and to give you inner strength to overcome this, the things that arise. Mm. And then, you know, you, you you could have had a number of different reactions to the insurance call. Mm. You could just, you could have laughed at yourself and then gone ahead. You don't have to be so hard on yourself. That's also a program. Yeah. Next. So until you have, until and unless that practice is regular and working in your life to some degree, uh, you keep getting caught in one thing or another, which which is going to happen anyway. But they don't being caught doesn't last maybe quite as long. Yeah. You can't help being caught. That's the way it is. We're here. We're already so caught. It's ridiculous. So the little bit of practice we do, we should understand that uh, it's really about becoming a better human being, a good human being. The whole thing. Actually, one of the questions here is. Uh, is does being kind to yourself when you lose it, when you fall out, mm -hmm. allow for an easier kind of return? Of course, yeah. if you if you if you if you have some little bit of sense of humor about yourself and what you're what you're doing, then you don't take it all so seriously. Mm -hmm. You don't take your falls so seriously. You get up and you continue. Mm -hmm. uh, those programs, but you see, those programs are running so deep and so subtly that. We think they they're true. They may be real to us, but they may not be true ultimately. In fact, they're not because there's only one of us in the universe. They say, which is what I say when I don't know what I'm talking about. But there's only one of us. They say. So who's hurting who? What is who is who is that? What's this? Why do I think there's other people out there? Why do I think I'm who I think I am? All this is the stuff that eventually falls away. As you as your practice ripens, it's really not a learning experience. It's a ripening experience. Mm -hmm. You know, practice ripens us from the inside. Mm 
and it, it, is there an element of the programming that is this this fear of, of death or an avoidance of looking at death and uh, and the question is um, is it possible to feel that death isn't a bad thing at all while at the same time honoring life and cherish cherishing this experience unless you have some awareness of death life is meaningless in other words we don't unless we understand that uh, this is going to end at some point where everything we know everything we have is going to go including our bodies then how can you do any spiritual practice then you're just accumulating bullshit, piling it on, piling on, piling it on. When you recognize that you're going to have to leave everything behind, then you honor what you have, but you recognize it's temporary. And that's not easy, because you can't... The, the, the thoughts are not going to... can't go to the world of death. They can't, they can't see what's beyond them in any way. So all you can do is look around, but look how we live, as if we're never going to die. Mm. And as if nobody in the world has ever died. That's how. That's our experience as we go through life. Nobody's ever died. Well, oh yeah, somebody died. Big deal. I'm still here. You know, I'll be here forever. That's that's the quality of our daily life, which is complete insanity, obviously, because we know it's not true, and yet we live that way. So unless we honor that transition that people call death, we can't really be dealing with this correctly. Because we're secretly trying to accumulate more and more, which we're going to have to leave behind. And the more we have, and the more we are attached for it, from it to it, and the more we we believe that we'll get happiness from this stuff that will last forever, the less we're going to ever be able to let go. That's why I think the the practice of gratitude comes in. And it's like a bulldozer that just like comes through everything else. Because to me, gratitude is feels appropriate. That's the word that that I can tr contribute to it, attribute to it, and in so in, instead of getting more and fulfilling a need, it's this attitude that, oh my gosh, what I have already, the experiences that that all of us get to have, and the variety of life, and just looking through life in this lens that okay, even if it ends right now in this moment, no problem at all, everything's fine. Yeah. Well. Most people out there, they, they get born, they might go to school, graduate high school, drink a few beers, and then die. And they're not here for a moment. So gratitude, gratitude is a very big thing, a very big thing. And we're, it, it also comes from recognition of what this life is about and what we have and how blessed we are to even know there's anything to find. You know, most people don't know that. And even most people who do yoga, they don't give a shit about that. They don't know it. They don't realize what this is about. You know, they're not, their, their motivation for practice is not something that's going to ripen their hearts. I think it shows, like, the depth of the, the conditioning, really, that we're on. Because yeah. if, if you can kind of take that away and look at it objectively, even, like, the situation that we're in, like, this planet... Right, and we we haven't seen, we don't know what the whole universe is, but we see pretty far, and we haven't found anything that's quite like Earth. So it seems to be a pretty objective statement that Earth is a, a majestic place, and something there's something special about our planet, and, and therefore, wow, 
gratitude for this experience of, of being a part of this planet. Seems that way, I agree. But there's a funny part of the, the Ramayana, the Ramayana uh, the version of it written by Tulsidas, called the Ramacharita Manas, which means the, 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 the Manasa Lake, the Lake of the Mind, brimming over with the stories of Ram. And every chapter is a descent deeper into the, the heart, the mind. And uh, in one part, he talks about this, uh, it's a complicated story, but anyway, there's this one being who's, who got blessed by Shiva that not only he would be in, fully enlightened, but he would be witness to all the, the, the incarnations of Ram in all the universes and all time, all the, at once, because there's infinite universes. And in each one, God takes the forms to alleviate suffering as according to what that universe, what that world mean, what an incarnation means in that world doesn't mean the same. These meat puppets are unique to Earth probably, but other other planets or the universes would have a different a, a different puppet. And in each one of those universes simultaneously God will manifest to relieve suffering. So Let's not get too carried away here. You know, it's one little lifetime. Sure, yeah. and uh, and that takes me back to I think the practice, uh, the devotional practice of, yeah. of bhakti, and you know, even you know what I think doesn't matter. That statement of, of letting go, that I don't. There's no taking credit, like feeling connected or a part of something larger. So I'm not sure what you mean, but yeah. Um, well, to me, the, the practice of, of bhakti yoga is this devotion to I am a part of something beyond myself, larger than myself. So I, you know, this process of just letting go to kind of, I think, what you're talking about that is so beyond uh, what I can even understand mm-hmm. that no, it, it, it seems almost to me that my question is, is it, is it so powerful because it's grounded in truth ultimately? What powerful? Uh, the devotional practice, the the practice of letting letting go, because it's it, it's beyond us. No, it is us. Mm. It is us. Our nature is love. Our nature is truth. Our nature is reality. It's covered up by all the stuff that we have to let go of in order to re-recognize or recognize that place within us. That place is always here, and. Uh, ultimately, you fall in love with everything in the universe because each thing, every separate thing in the universe is has that love within it, which is God. And so when you're not attached to who you think you are, then you see who everybody else is also because you see your own true nature. But because we're attached to our stuff, we see the stuff everywhere. So devotion, it just simply means love. And it's not something you can manipulate or coerce or uh, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to try to imagine things and try to fall in love with some supposed deity up in the sky that looks like something else or, you know, uh, all these pictures of the deities doesn't know what they look like. You know, somebody drew that picture, somebody painted a picture. They look like you. And they look like me. They look like who we really are, because that's who they are. So, when I met my guru, which was actually before I met him physically, 
I experienced that love in a very deep way. And I, I understood immediately that whatever it was I was looking for was in the world. It existed and it could be found. And it was that love. And uh, when I met him, I recognized that love as real, and he uh, he allowed us into the room where love lives, and uh, the door was open, and anybody was could go in. There was no, you didn't have to wear any special clothes, you didn't have to look any way, you didn't have to speak Hindi or Sanskrit or know any prayers. It was enough being you. That was the qualification to come into the room of love. And the whole universe is that room. But we ourselves, uh, we, we don't allow ourselves in. And if we do get in, we take ourselves right out. And which we did right in front of him, you know. We would be sitting in front of him, I'd be totally depressed and focused on my own so-called impurities and my this and that and that. And he'd just look at me and laugh, and then I'd be back in it. Or I'd be down like this and I'd get hit in the heart with a banana and I'd look at him. <laughs> you know? So that's how he taught. He kept bringing us back to the love, which was in here. Not out there. It was in here. Where were you? Where do you experience everything you experience? Over there? No, within you. Whatever that means. So. That's why I actually had a bunch of questions about, you know, uh, the, the guru guru lineage and traditions. Um, I tried to boil some of them down, and they don't uh, boil very well. <laughs> they stay hard. Those questions. Um, but but anyway, here it is. Yeah. Uh, I see that there's um, maybe a polarization that happens, uh, and one side is tradition. You know, the uh, whether it's um, a guru, a person, or a religion, or, or whatever it is, saying that this thing I, I follow this path, and uh, it's outside of anything that I decide. I'm just following this path, and then the other side says. Um, I want to decide. I'm I'm more of the decider, you know, myself. So, kind of in this modern modern day, especially when there's you're so much exposure to lots of different traditions, lots of different paths, and and also, uh, you know, people want to take kind of ownership of their spiritual path as well. And know, it seems. I don't know what that means. Um, thank you for for asking for clarification. I. Um, well, I think ultimately there's no getting around the fact that we're the ones choosing or deciding, right? Like even if you decide to follow another, you're you're the one who has mm-hmm. taken that step. It looks like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it seems that there's been some dangerous situations or maybe you can call it fanaticism that happens when someone kind of loses themselves and says, okay, you can tell me this person or this organization can tell me what to do mm-hmm. and I'm going to listen to them beyond myself yeah. and then you've lost your own kind of discernment. That's what's called so. a cult. You know, and I don't care what it looks like out in the world, what religious uh, tradition it comes from. If you give up your sense of right and wrong and to be told what's right and wrong and what you should do by somebody else, then that's a cult. Um, my guru never told us what to do. Never. 
except go away. You know, that's all. He doesn't go away, but he never told us what to do. He never told people do this, do that, do this, do that. Uh, he, you have to find your own thing. You have to find what's right for you. That is the path, finding what's right for you. And if somebody tells you to do something, it's very different than when you know you have to do something. So he never told me to sing with people, for instance. And it was 21 years after he died that I recognized if I did not sing with people, I would not clean out the deep, the, the shadows in my own heart. I had to do it. And when I sing, that's why I'm doing it. Because I have to, not because anybody told me. If you told me, it would not be the same. Even if I believed him, it would not be the same, which I would. He said, you have to do this. And, okay, I'm doing it, but in the back of my mind, I'm doing it because he told me it's right to do. I understand it's right to do. Even that's different when you know you have to do it yourself. And that knowledge, that understanding came from within, from your own intuition, whatever that means. Uh, so that's the thing. And I was in a cult, so I know what it's like to give up your own sense of right and wrong and be told what, what you need, what you should do. The whole time I was doing those things, it didn't feel right, but I made myself do them because I needed what I was getting in that cult, which is a little pet on the head and told I was a good boy. Because that was after Maharaji died and I was really lost and very, very unhappy. And so I got involved with this situation where somebody was willing to pet me on the head and tell me I'm a good little boy and that was what I needed. So to get that, I was willing to do whatever this person said. And that, I was in that for um, maybe, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven, three or four years I was involved with that group. Finally, I just said enough of this shit and I got out, I walked away. But uh, because they had gotten too crazy beyond belief, so I just, this is, and I walked. So I know what, it, what it's like, and some of these cults, uh, they look like they're traditional religious uh, organizations, but that doesn't mean they're not a cult. You know, if anybody who tells you this is the only way, you got to run as fast as you can in any direction but that one. There's, there's no only way. Everybody is their own way already, and you can. There are lineage and traditions that transmit uh, a sense of direction. You could say which you experience within yourself. And if you're in a situation where you're getting that transmission or you're feeling this is good for me, you should go with it. But you have to learn to listen to yourself. This is what none of us have been taught to do. And that's why we get involved with these situations that are so abusive from sexually, emotionally, and every other way. Because we haven't been trained to pay attention to ourselves or trust our own hearts. So we're willing to let it go for anybody just giving us a little attention. It's pretty interesting. Why does it seem so hard to believe that actually the best thing we can do for others is take better care of ourselves? Why? Because your parents didn't know. Yeah. Their parents didn't know. Their parents didn't know. Their parents didn't know. Going back to Abraham, who was ready to kill his son. He didn't know until later, you know? So nobody in the world knows that. How can we learn? We learn it when we come into contact with the real spiritual tradition, which tells us, you got to take care of yourself. Oh, nobody ever told me that. How? Well, here's how. 
watch your breath, do this mantra, do this, do this. You know, and if you trust that in you, if it feels right, you go for it. If it doesn't, you know, it goes somewhere else. Ask you, um, do you believe that, like, between the outer layers of our skin, that there's energy that's kind of passing through through the air? That if you that you vibrate, like if you're in an angry or a troubled state, that energy vibrates, or if you're in a, a loving state, that vibrates. I suppose yourself. so. I'm I'm pretty dull. I don't really pay much attention to that. Hmm. I sing and I go home. That's what I do. I I understand this whole realm of of that kind of stuff, which probably exists for people, but it's not, and people look at me all the time and they say, oh, you, thank you, you done, and I say, what have I done? I'm singing Maharaji. Whatever happened, happened inside of you. What do I have to do with it? And I believe that, but that doesn't mean that that person didn't have that experience, but they want to pin it on me, fine, God bless you. I don't have, I don't have to accept it. I'm not going to say, you know, fuck you, give me a loan, because that's not right either, but I know what I'm doing, he said, and, uh, you know, I'm just singing, and stuff happens, fine, but if you need a storyline to help you get through the day and feel better about yourself, fine, whatever storyline you want, I have mine, mm. you have yours, and he has his, fine, that's good, but pay attention that you're not, that, that, that you're turning to your own heart, that's the main thing. And because you're, uh, who we are is not different from a, a real guru or God. They're the same and they know that we don't, that's the problem. So, yeah, there's all kinds of energies. People work with those energies. People talk about all kinds of things. The yoga of sound, I don't know anything about that. I don't give a shit either. Mm -hmm. I just sing to my guru because I, he, for me, he, what he is is that presence of love that infinite, unending, deep presence of being and love. And when I chant, I move into that deeply, more deeply. And it seems that other people get a chance to do that too. Fine. End of story. Uh, you mentioned when, when people say thank you to you and uh, you get compliments a lot. My qu the question here is, is, uh, is that... Are you able to use that productively in some way when you're, when you're, when you're complimented? Does it... I've just learned to say thank you. Yeah. That took a long time. Mm. You know, to recognize somebody, this is somebody offering a part of their heart to me, and I say, thank you so much. That's, and I mean it. But I don't... It doesn't mean any more than thank you. So, I don't know about using it productively. I don't... I mean, I can't even use anything productively. I just can't. <laughs> I'll think about productivity. I just sing. Okay. When you're singing, everything is all to let go. Mm. He's giving you the five-minute thing over there. Great. Let me get to this question. We didn't see it's, that. It's uh, it's a bit longer. Um, okay. So, Maharaj, you mentioned that at his ashram, here you just come, eat, go. <laughs> I take that to mean that you come to the ashram for a bit of sweetness, possibly ecstasy, are sustained while there. Then you need to go off and fight your demons before coming back again to retreat, bask in the sweetness, which will then always be felt anew. That's a little bit too much thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, it was a yeah. funny story. In other words, a guy came and he brought a friend of his. A devotee of Maharaji came and he brought his friend. Maharaji says, why did you come? At your guru's place, there's kirtan and bhajan and all kinds of things like that. And here it's just al-kao-jao. 
come, eat, go. But you got to understand who's saying that and what that means. There's no, there were no, nobody did practices there. We never sat around and meditated. He wouldn't let us meditate. We try to close our eyes and meditate, you get hit with an apple, you know. I mean, he just would not, it was so beyond all that. It's so hard to describe to anybody. Alkao Jao is so great. Come, eat, go. Just like life, right? It's just no different than life. You don't have to be anything special. You don't have to do anything special. You are special as you are. And that's that was what he that's that's where he lives. He lives in that ultimate reality and everybody's invited in because everybody's already in. We just don't recognize it. So you didn't have to sit like this and do stuff. There was nobody doing seva. If something had to be done, you did it. And when people came, you know, he said, when people come here, if they want to cook their own food, we give them stuff. They, we'll give them pots and pans. Get, you should feel like you're going to your grandfather's house. That's how he said people should feel when they come here. That's so... Just so light. Yeah. I mean, it's so sweet. When you would go, I don't know about you, but when I went to my grandparents' house, oh, thank God, got away from my parents, and I got everything I wanted there. They cooked great pancakes, everything. I had a great time. Took me out. It was like, you know, the greatest thing. That kind of love that you that's just there. It's natural. It's, it's the way we are. It's who we are. And that's what he was manifesting all the time. Of course, he knew everything. It wasn't like he was just like some simpleton. He said, oh yeah, come and eat and go. He knew everything about everybody, past, present, and future. Which is why he was able to say something like that. Which is why at his ashram, it was just about hanging out. He didn't make us go to RT. He didn't make us sing. He didn't make us do anything. We wanted to sing because he liked it and that made us happy. But it wasn't because we were trying to get something. It was so natural, so real. And that's how he, that's how he, that's how he prepared us to live our lives naturally and real, you know, and it's not, there's no urgency to be somebody else. You can't be somebody else. So much of our spiritual practice is to build a me that I can love, you know. I'm going to create a me. Ah, yeah, here I am meditating. This is, this is a good me. I like this me. Yeah, okay. You know, all the stuff we do is to create a me that we could like because we hate ourselves. Easier to get rid of the hate. And stop building, you know, mannequins of me everywhere. You know, so that's what he allowed us to do. He allowed us just to be ourselves. And it's just benign, you know, just fantastic. It seems like it's like this obsession over the self. Where it's like, who cares anymore? It's that I am how I am, not mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And and that's it. Exactly. But that's scary to to allow yourself to be happy. Because mm. it's very hard to, to do that because we have so much fear and because we've been all our hearts have been so betrayed so many times we really there's there's a lot of issues that have to be um digested so to speak and you can't get around that you know listen i was with them for two and a half years i didn't become a drug addict until after that Mm. right after that, all this shit hit the fan in my life. And I had to live through it. I had to digest it. I had to, I had to survive it. 
and he gave me everything I needed to survive it. But it was, after I was with him, all this stuff happened, came up from inside of me. So it was a struggle, and it still is a struggle every day, this bullshit. So, you know, it's you can't just, you can taste that happiness, and you can know it's real. That changes everything when you know it's real. Because that's the problem. Most of us don't know that. We, we're hoping, probably. We hope that it's real because we want that. We yearn for that. But we don't know if it's real yet. So that, that kind of cripples a lot of our efforts to move in the right direction. The fact that we don't really know. But it's the yearning that we have, the longing that we have, that moves us along, regardless of what we're thinking about, what we think we believe. We know, our hearts know what they want, and they will get it sooner or later, which is to unite and merge, and merge into that love of which the, our hearts are a little tiny spark. It's just not different, it's a spark, but the whole thing, we just want to let it go. But the programs are running, they have to be worked on, let go of and digest it. And, that, and the more you digest that stuff, the brighter that, the more intense that yearning becomes. And the intensity of the yearning, that's what helps you get through the day and just not even see the stuff that used to bother you. And it doesn't exist anymore to you because it doesn't, there's nothing to catch on to you anymore. You've learned to let go. You practice letting go in your meditation or your chanting. You just sing, and when you notice you're not paying attention, you come back again and again and again. That's training. Yeah. That's training. And that movement, coming back, that, that happens all day long by itself when you're not paying attention. Little by little, the things fall away from you that, at some other point in your life, you couldn't imagine that this wouldn't be the most important thing. So, it's a it's a multi-level, multifaceted kind of ripening process that happens in all directions at once. You know, but the more you get in touch with the real thing, the more you get in touch with that yearning and longing, then you begin to be able to to give more of yourself to. Uh, to that yearning, because it's the yearning that saves us, saves us the longing that saves mm. us. Without that longing, where what are we doing? Yeah. That's the longing that turns us in the right direction. Without the longing, we just have you know. The obstacle to to me, uh, in a lot of ways, seems to be speed. So fast I, is that if you actually slow down, then you realize what is the true yearning, what is the longing. Yeah. yeah. The more yearning you have, the more you understand that that longing is the connection. The more you experience that within you, you'll naturally be able to let go of anything that is between you and that, it's just because you want it. When you're really hungry, right? You don't care about television, you don't care about sex, you don't care about anything, you just want, gotta get something in your mouth. And nothing's gonna keep you from that refrigerator. You get out of the car, right to the, right? It's like that. So, because you know the refrigerator is there, you know the food that you want is there, nothing's going to stop you. There could be anything here and here and here, but you know, I'll be back later. I got to do this first. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens when that longing gets stronger and stronger. You, 
you you want to fulfill that first and 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 the stronger you get in that then you can later include everybody in that but there is a period where you kind of get naturally one pointed later on when you're at ease with it all then you can you expand and the whole universe is is part of that but there's from for most of us we go through a period where we start to get more one pointed not in a push away kind of way that's not necessary you can't push things away but the longing pulls us naturally and then when we sit we we want to sit we're not doing mm-hmm. it because we think we should for instance and then when we treat people well it's because we want to mm-hmm. not because we should we care about what they think of us or anything else just because we want to do that that's right and then that's why he never told me to sing with people because if i was doing it i would be doing it because i should i don't do it because i should i do it because i want to i actually want to do this this is what i if i could do what i want to do this is what i'd be doing i'm yeah. doing what i want to do yeah. how crazy is that <laughs> how crazy is it that that's are you crazy? allowed to do that oh my god you know yes you are allowed to be you yeah you have to be you do there's nobody you else you can be yeah. mm-hmm.